Welcome to the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. I'm David Pratt, along with the president of Everything Financial, Peter Shishecki. Peter, on season two, episode 15, uh, what we're going to talk about here are the 10 key questions on TFSAs, or as like we the, like to call it, the the new RRSP season. What, that's what right. What is a TFSA? TIFSA. A TISFA. Um, yeah, like tisfa? we don't have enough acronyms okay. in this business, right? A TISFA, a tax-free savings account. That is what TFSA stands for. It's not the border guards when you go on a plane searching you and checking body cavities. That's the TSA uh, in the States anyways. Um, but okay. no, a tax-free savings account. You see the signs everywhere, walk into any major financial institution or as we say with a four-letter word that ends in K, a bank. You thought I was going to... Hey, we don't have to edit this. Yes. We don't... We don't. The children are not watching. We're okay. So children are now going to their mothers and fathers who are watching this. Mommy, what does he mean by a four-letter word ending in K? That's the one I heard you and daddy use the other day. So there you go. Uh, I'm just reaching for the mute button there. Okay. No, there's no mute button. We own our own okay. podcast, Dave. We don't need to mute. No. Yeah, right. Okay, so when it comes to contributing, okay, because let's, let's get into this, okay, because that's what it's all about, contributing. What what are the limits here to all of this? Well, the limits over the years, Dave, have changed so many times I can't count. The current wow. limit in a TFSA, the contribution limit for when we're recording this, 2022, is $6,000, same as the contribution was in 2021, $6,000. Current government in Canada, for some reason, likes to keep this limit low. Uh, previous regime with Harper had this limit up in the $10,000 area at one point. But the more important thing is, what is your lifetime contribution limit? And that right now, your lifetime contribution limit is $81,500. Let's assume you've never, ever deposited to a TFSA then it's $81,500. But that limit can be affected by other factors and could actually, theoretically, um, it could be higher than $81,500. There is a way. Okay. See, the, the thing is, when we started getting into all this, the, the first question that came to my mind is, okay, you know, what are the differences here, you know, between, say, a TFSA, which is what we're talking about right now, and an RSP? Yeah, there's big differences and, and a lot of people don't realize it. But with an RSP, it's a it's really a tax deferral. You're not getting it. People think it's a tax refund and whatnot. It's not. With an RSP, you're you're contributing to an RSP and you're getting to defer your taxes. So I'll explain what that means and then I can tell you what the difference is. So let's okay. say you're in a 48% tax bracket and you buy $10,000 in an RSP. And then you're going to get, if you're still in a 48% tax bracket by contributing $10,000, that's a whole other episode I think we did earlier this season, you're going to get a 48% refund or $4,800. But it's not like you get that money forever. If you cash in the RSP down the road and you're still in a 48% tax bracket, that's not good financial planning, but also it means you're going to have to give back that same $4,800. The idea with an RSP is defer the taxes to the later date when you cash in the RSP. 
and say contribute in a 48% tax bracket and cash them in in a 20% tax bracket. That's good financial planning uh, for sure. With the TFSA, the difference is the you're deflecting tax. So that there's a hockey terminology, Dave, uh, deflection. We can sure. we always go to those. And with a, with a TFSA, you've already paid tax on the money you contributed to the TFSA. It came from your taxable income. Tax is already paid. The thing with the TFSA is, what are you going to do with the growth? So the growth, if done properly, and one of our questions later will explain the only reason you pretty well can't do this, but with a TFSA, you're deflecting the tax to later. So all the growth, if done right, you're not going to pay tax on any of that growth. And that could be substantial. So let's just back up one step here about your contribution limit. If you take money out of the TFSA, so you put in 30, it's worth 40. You take out that $10,000, you get to put that money back in later. And we'll get into that in a little more detail. So that would get anything you withdraw gets added to your contribution limit. So there's the so kind of nuts and yeah, bolts, major for, for, differences. What I can get from what you're saying is that there is a real benefit here. Okay. But yet there are a lot of people who think that TFSAs are just flat out not worth it. Yeah, is well, that an argument worth making? Yeah, again, the four-letter word that ends in K. Um, yeah. That's because for years, <laughs> well, personally, and this is not a political statement, or I know that's hard to believe for me. Um, yes. This is just, I, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate and say the government had good intentions way back when, and they just misnamed uh. a TFSA. Because when you say tax-free savings account, the, those those institutions that end in K, that's what we're going to call them from now on, because um, I kind of feel the same way sometimes. But they yeah. they call them a tax-free savings account. And they, what they really did, and it's been going on now forever, is all the advertising banners when you walk into those institutions say, come get your TFSA, get earned 0.15% interest, 0.25%. Why would you even bother putting your money in a savings investment account that's going to get like 0.15% interest. Think, I don't even yeah. care if you're freaking in the 53.5% tax bracket. You don't even save enough tax to go for dollar drink days at the Golden Arches for crying out loud. Like you're saving virtually nothing. So if you want to save money with a TFSA, treat it like an RSP in the sense that in most cases, anyways, a longer term investment, and that's up to your direction. And if you're investing the portfolio manager way instead of the MF way that we talk about all this time, people, that does not mean anything to do with your parent, by the way, when I said MF, I'm talking about mutual funds. Gosh, people okay. who watch this podcast are so rude sometimes. Um, but <laughs> but don't sit there and, you know, Invest in something that's useless. Like talk to your portfolio manager, talk to your your um, re- registered financial planner. Make the TFSA for the most part, and I'll give the exception in a minute. But make it a long term investment where you can you you can choose something long term that's going to do better and make that tax savings worthwhile. Kind of like your RSP, right? Get good significant tax savings out of that TFSA down the road, not 
you know, imagine 0.15% on your $81,500 of contribution. Wow, I saved six cents this year. That's great. You know, just a waste of time. Yeah, but it, it really gets us to the much more important question here because you've just made the case here. So how do you turn that TFSA into an RRSP? Because that yeah. to me would make the most sense. Well, you know, we talked about in previous episodes, Dave, and I know I've, I've spent okay. my lifetime educating you or just the last four years of us together seems like a lifetime sometimes. Um, okay. Yeah, <laughs> for, probably for you too. I get it. Sure. <laughs> probably for you too. Yes. Um, we've had many dinners out where we, you know, that, that caused this to be a lifetime. So sure. here's the thing. We talk about buying an RSP in our previous episodes and we talked about just because you can buy an RSP doesn't necessarily mean you should buy an RSP. In other words, using that example we used a few minutes ago, if you're in a 48% tax bracket and you put too much money into your RSP, maybe that drops you down to like a 26% or a 30% tax bracket or even a 42% tax bracket. Let's just say, even though it doesn't really exist, let's just say 48%, you put too much into an RSP and you're in a 38% tax bracket. And I've seen it happen. Well, that means you're getting... 10% 10% less back in your savings. Like you're, you're letting the government off the hook of a 10% smaller refund on all your deposits. So instead, maybe this strategy will work into your financial planning you know, goals. You could put, if you're not sure yet, what to do for an RSP for the coming season. You think you might need some, But hey, coming out of the pandemic, income's been off and on. Bonuses have been off and on. You're not really sure. Put your money into a TFSA, but invest it, you know, at your direction. Have the portfolio manager invest it like your RSP. So maybe it's in the same investments that are long-term thinking investments, you know, for good accumulation. Let's say that's what you're thinking of. But then you get to January or February next year and rather get sucked into that RRSP season. When my staff hears me say that, they're going to make me put money in the RSP swear jar because I told them I never want to hear you say that word after the word RSP. But let's just say the RSP deadline time. And all of a sudden you're doing your planning and you realize, you know what? I need a little bit more in that RSP than maybe I've deposited monthly through to my advisor or in my plan or at work or whatever the case may be. And I got to top it up. Well, turn that money, like transfer it over from your TFSA to your RSP. So let's use an example. You had $30,000 in your TFSA. Say, let's just use simple math, people. We're not saying you're going to get this. We're not promising anything. Just math here today in education. And it earned 10%. And so you made $3,000. Remember now, Dave, the $3,000 is tax-free. So you move $3,000 into your RSP because you need that little extra bump and you're in a 48% tax bracket. So your $3,000 tax-free put into your RSP from your TFSA now is going to earn you close to an additional $1,500 in tax savings with a refund. Or savings. I mean, if you pay, if you didn't pay enough tax, then it's just savings. If you paid enough tax, and you're going to get that money back. But regardless, you're you're using tax-free growth to produce further tax savings growth. So you could turn that three thousand dollars into about forty four hundred or forty nine hundred dollars um, by starting out with the TFSA and then moving to the RSP. It's a great strategy that can work 
many times. I've seen lots of people use it. And it's more for getting you to invest in the TFSA long-term and not putting too much money right off the bat into the RSP that you do a disservice to yourself tax-wise. It gives you, it really, Dave, it gives you more flexibility. Well, I, I, I'm putting money away still, but I'm not sure if I need the RSP yet, but at least I'm making money you know, long-term and making growth. So it gives you a choice because remember, you can pull out of the TFSA. Uh, once you put that money into the RSP, you generally don't want to pull it out to the later years till you're in a low tax bracket. Because what if too, Dave, what if job things didn't go your way and you got laid off or there was a cutback or something yep. and all of a sudden you needed an emergency fund? Oh, you can pull some money out of that TFSA without the tax consequences. So it just gives you a bit more choice. Now, for that individual that is trying to, you know, pay off the mortgage, and there's a lot of that out there right now. So let's get into this here. Now, how can a TFSA benefit your mortgage? Boy, well, that, that to me, you know, because you and I know a lot of people that are trying to get that mortgage off the books. Yeah. How, how does this help? Well, let's let's use an example. And again, general example. And this is close to something we did recently for someone. Say you're putting $2,500 away for your mortgage. And it's a 30-year mortgage, let's just say. You know, you just you're fairly new, right? You're 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 putting in the mortgage. And you go, well, geez, if I, I can afford an extra five hundred dollars a month, and, and the five hundred dollars puts you from no, actually, let's change this. I got my numbers here on the side. So 25-year mortgage, twenty five hundred dollars a month. You go, oh, if I put five hundred dollars more away, I'm on a 20-year mortgage. That seems like a reason. And you can afford it, let's say, right, Dave? So that seems like a reasonable okay. thing to do. Geez, I just spent 500 bucks, knocked, you know, five more years off my mortgage. Oh, but here's another way to look at it. And, and I've got the stats to back this up. We've done lots of scenarios for this. What if instead of going that way, you go the other way? So you take your $2,500 and you lower it to $2,000 and you go, oh, now I have a 30-year mortgage. Well, that's not good. I'm trying to pay my mortgage off quicker. But remember, the total you're spending is $3,000. Now you take that thousand dollars because you went from twenty five to two. You take that extra thousand dollars, and you put it all into a TFSA. And let we have to use an assumption here. We got to have some assumptions. Let's just say you make five percent on your TFSA, tax free. By taking that lump sum of money in five years, and every five years you dump that down on your mortgage you'll knock about three, four more years off that mortgage. Like it's considerable the amount of, so you won't be at, and when I say three, four more years, I mean, not the 20 years, you'll be down to like 17 years or somewhere around there. Like it makes, a con and we we actually do, I'm just using examples, people. So don't, oh, how did we do that? You know, and people go to their computers and try and figure it out. We have a, actually a computer program that runs these scenarios for people. So we can choose really, any payment you want based on that 5% assumption and figure out what the difference is in mortgage savings. And it is significant. And I mean, we not afraid to admit it. Um, Vitri Trong, who's the associate advisor at everything financial we yeah. had on talking about mortgages before we came up with this kind of by accident when just trying to playing around with a computer program we built, trying to figure all this stuff out. And suddenly we realized, wait a minute, now that the TFSA limits are getting, the contribution limits are getting, you know, way up there, there's some meat to them. Like before when it was 20 grand, like, yeah, really tax savings on 20 grand, what's that going to get you? 
Now we're talking 81.5 in contributions and you put that with your spouse, you're at, you know, 163,000. That's some considerable deposits over the years to a TFSA, but you could literally as, you know, if the interest environment works out to your benefit, the rate of return environment works out to your benefit, it's worth the discussion and looking at actually lowering your or increasing your amortization to lower your monthly payment, to put the money into a TFSA to actually decrease your amortization. It's it's something people don't look at. And why don't they look at it? Because they walk into the institution that ends in K and they think they're only going to get 0.15% on their TFSA. That's a rhyme. Um, anyways, that happens. I get more calls about that than anything. Like I get people saying yeah. to me, why would you ever put money into a TFSA to earn a you know 0.1% or point, a tenth of a percent and stuff like that? I said, and I just say, why would you put into a TFSA that only earns you a tenth of a percent or, or 0.15 of a percent? And, and the people, because you know why? Because people don't know there's an alternative. There's a different way to look at it because no one is telling them at those institutions. Because remember, the first person you meet when you go to those institutions are tellers, not listeners. So they don't really know your situation. <laughs> okay. Here's the joker in the deck. All right. The growth of that TFSA, which is what we're talking about. All right. Can that be taxable? I mean, can you get bit on the other side of this thing? Oh yeah. And it's happened. And there's, there's, yeah. there's case law to prove it. I mean, don't if you use, see TFSAs are a personal savings account. They're a personal device. They're not a company yeah. device. You can't have a company owned TFSA. Doesn't exist. So okay. don't use your TFSA as a job, as a money making day to day scheme, and you'll be fine. So where am I going with this? Day trading. The person who does day trading for a limit and does it in their TFSA, oh, there's been people who have done it and they've been caught and lawyers have tried to fight the government because we know how well that works. Apparently, fighting the government only works if you're already in government. Then you can break as many laws as you want. At least that's the way it seems. Um, Oh, got political. Someone's going to be offended. Oh, well, don't watch the podcast if you're offended easily. Um, And so, yeah, there's been cases used as a day trading account. There's, that's just one example. There are a few others. You can Google them, but that's the, that's a common one. If it's a job account, again, it's a personal savings device, not a, not a company savings device. You can get stung. So imagine if you were day trading and turned your 50, $60,000 of stock into $500,000 of stock, virtually, it seemed almost overnight. You don't think that's going to raise a red flag? (laughs) And they're maybe just going to look into how did you make that kind of money? And easy to track day trading. So you can get stung. Yeah. But, you know, there's a few other minor ones, but that's that's kind of the biggest one right there. Um, Also, during, I mean, nowadays too, there's a lot of Americans work in Canada and they get, um, you know, work visas, et cetera, but they're still Americans and working in Canada with their work visas, they can buy RSPs against their income. Not a TFSA though. It's taxable in the States. So there's no point. So I had a client recently who was moving to the States permanently married, moving to the States. So he has to, he has to liquidate his TFSA. Luckily he made good money in it. 
but he has to cash it in and take the value at that point. Because if he makes a bunch more money now, it's all, it would all end up taxable in the States anyways, and he's not allowed to hold it. So there is, you know, some people do move to other countries, then you can't hold the TFSA anymore and you have to liquidate it. But what you liquidate it for at that time is still tax-free. It's just the growth beyond that that's in a normal investment account and you're going to have to pay tax on it. You know, with all the options that you've just thrown out there, and there's multiple ones here, it leads to the question of, you know what, maybe I should have more than just the one TFSA that I can play with back and forth so that I've got the options as opposed to the, the feds knocking on my door. Exactly. And, and that option I was kind of making fun of when I talk about those institutions yeah. later, but because you don't have to go to them to do it. But say you need some money for emergency money for your family, money you just don't want to tie up, money you want in short-term savings. You can have more than one TFSA, Dave. You can have a TFSA for the short-term savings and just do pick an interest-type savings account. But don't go to those institutions where you're making 0.1 or 0.15. There's institutions out there, independent ones, that'll pay you three-quarters of a percent or 1% interest. That makes a lot more sense. But but that's your short-term emergency fund, maybe family vacation fund, TFSA. Sure. And the rest, the rest of your money for the long term at the more aggressive, if you will, or volatile TFSA, more, more along the lines of your, like I said, your RSPs. Or here's another one. Say you're not near your limit and you have a a a, a, a teenager who's working or something, they're not old enough to buy a TFSA. And there's no way they would buy RSPs, even if they were old enough, because they, you know, they're just making basic teenager type wages. And I mean, you know, but you got to be over a certain age, anyways. But but why not set up a separate TFSA for your kids? But it's under your name, as again, if you have lots of contribution room, and at least there, your kids are making a, a realistic rate of interest versus sitting their money in a bank. And you know what? You start to teach your kids about investing at a young age, and that's not ever a bad thing to get them on the right path of saying, hey, look, you can take this much money out of your paycheck at the Golden Arches or the coffee shop or whatever they're working. <laughs> and and they yeah. put it back in our day, Dave, it was a paper route, but I don't even think those exist anymore. Um, but you know, but you, you can put the money away. <laughs> you can put the money away for savings under your parents' name. And and again, and I have a lot of parents who do that because like I said, they've still got tons of room and if it helps their kids get on the right path for the first three or four years and see what significant savings is all about until those children turn, you know, in BC 19, even though contract age is 18, they're 19 before they can open a TFSA. Um, and by the way, when they turn 19, because the federal government rule is 18, um, but in BC, that's their second year of contribution. So they can do two years at once, once they turn 19, they just can't open the contract till they're 19. Okay. Now, if you withdraw some of the money, because we've been talking about this, I mean, the whole idea of it is, is to put it in there and then take it back out. Absolutely. Uh, is there is there a time frame on this? I mean, when when can you put it back and and not get bit? Yeah, we talked about that earlier when I said I'd allude to the allude to this yeah. later. You, you have to wait till the calendar turns over. So if you take money okay. out now, and you're maximized, say you've put in your full eighty one thousand five hundred of contribution, just to keep things simple at the moment. And you take that money out now, you can't put it in until the calendar turns over to January 1st. If you're okay. not maximized, you can put in whatever contribution room you have, but that extra contribution 
from taking out that $10,000 or whatever the case may be, that part of your contribution room doesn't come back into play until the next year. So you are delayed. So this is a, a, a reason for people to sit with a registered financial planner, say in November, and look at their TFSA limits, see what kind of growth is there and decide, hey, am I going to need money for something at, for the end of the year or the first quarter or so of next year? Geez, I can pull that money now out of the growth of my TFSA tax-free, but I'm kind of only delayed if I don't need it to put it back in until, you know, if that's November, till January. So you're not really putting handcuffs on yourself for contribution. You only have a couple months to wait. So even if you're not maximized in your contributions, I would review your TFSA every November just to see what's there for the end of the year and do I need some tax-free money? Never hurts to look. Here's the thing. I mean, after everything you've just said here, the more and more I, I, it's coming to me that I'm going, wow, the clients that you're dealing with, how many of them just don't have a plan? Do you know what I mean? Oh, I yeah, mean, you, you've laid all this stuff down, but if you don't have a plan, you know, can, can you just spin yourself around in circles and wind up at the, at the wrong end of, of this equation? Yeah. Cause when you're retiring, Dave, you, you know, you've got yeah. CPP, old age security, your RSPs turned into a RIF. We've talked about that before. Maybe a pension yeah. from work, et cetera. Well, all that's taxable. You gotta pay tax on all that. Now there's some planning you can do to, you know, to limit that tax quite a bit, but again, still taxable. So why not look at the, the TFSA as a good alternative to something that you can do to add on tax-free income to your retirement. Save yourself a bunch of tax money in your income at retirement. That's a huge benefit. Yeah. The more you can have that's tax-free, the less pressure on the rest of your investments. I mean, you know, because you don't, because you don't, if you have a thousand dollars tax-free at retirement, you only need to take out a thousand dollars. But if it's in an RSP or a RIF at that point and you need a thousand dollars, you know, you might have to take fourteen hundred or thirteen fifty to net thousand dollars. So it's nice if the thousand dollars can actually be a thousand dollars. And there's where the TFSAs can come in handy. Here's the final thing I want to throw by you now, and because I'm, as you know, I'm not an accountant. Okay, <laughs> I'm not an accountant. I have people that do that. <laughs> the lady in my life does it for me. I'm not an you accountant. Bet. Okay, and I occasionally will lose track of things and numbers. And okay. If you're like me and you lose track of your contributions, um, how the hell do you verify them? I mean, there's got to yeah. be a system here. Help me. There's the Help CRA me. My Account you can log into. <clears throat> but okay. when you log into that, you're going to notice real quick, your contributions are always a year out of date. If you log in now, oh, okay. you're not going to have last year's contributions in there. Um, you got to watch that because I tell you what, Dave, you do not want to over-contribute to your TFSA. I mean, you'll be treated like a protesting truck driver in downtown Ottawa by the government. Yeah. So, and that's not good people, by the way, in case you forget what happened a few months ago or last month. Um, yeah, so so try and keep record. Your your institution, your, your planning team you use will keep track of your contributions. So one of the first things I recommend people do when they come to see us we get authorization to get their My Account um, section of CRA uploaded, and we go in and find out their contribution room 
and then keep a record of it for them from there on going forward. Uh, because it is, you put here, you put money there. You put, oh, did I put that in RSP? Yeah. Did I put that in a TFSA? Did I move this money over? Oh, wait a minute. I took some money out. Now I'm putting money back in. You're right. It can get confusing to keep track of this stuff all the way along. So register the help of your, well, register, take the help of your registered financial planner and go to the My Account section of CRA get it brought up to date and then and then keep an accurate record because if if you are not sure err on the side of caution because the penalties are just not worth it to over contribute i mean don't be afraid of using the vehicle the tfsa but make sure you stay on the right side of the contribution room for sure so just one quick story here dave on tfsa's and over contribution and this is a true story this is a case that actually happened and i've seen it happen more than once where a person went into the my account section of CRA and they got their contribution limit, you know, based on how it was printed, but they didn't yep. understand about the, these contributions being out of date and they contributed what it said they could contribute. And then lo and behold, you know, Mr. CRA taxman comes along six, eight months later and gives them a nice big penalty. And they're like blown away, flabbery. I said, how can I have a penalty? It says right here what my limit is. But CRA can always default back to, well, it's your responsibility to make sure those limits are right and and previous contribution room. So solicit the help of your registered financial planner going through saving contributions. But that's part of what planning is, Dave, right? We've talked about this. It's, It's getting someone to help keep you organized. Financial planning, and I know with us with our Omni formula, it's not just about, well, financial planning is not buying RSPs or buying investments at all. It's actually putting a plan together and educating the client about what they have, TFSAs being one of them, and, and you know, helping the client understand what's there and educating the client on how to keep track of their money instead of just, as I said, instead of just buying a product. There's so much more to it than that. Yeah. Um, so don't over-contribute because you can't say the government said it was allowed because that just doesn't fly. It's not good enough. Uh, before we wrap this up, uh, we do like to open this this whole forum up to to questions to to uh, sure whether thing. you're you're a client or just a, a viewer or listener, whatever the case is. We've got time for for a couple that I do want to throw by. This one is from okay. Ann, uh, who wants to know about the market that has just gone completely crazy. As an investor, how do you deal with this? I mean, how do you not hit the panic button? Well, that's remember what we've always said, Dave, and we talked about this in sports. We've talked about you know around years together on radio and. We talk about this since we've been doing this stuff together is don't let emotion guide your decision, especially when it comes to money. You'll always make the wrong decision. That's that's easier said than done. I know when it's your money. Here's another thing. And I, I love, you know, I'm a stats freak a little bit. So um, we'll throw some stats at you here. But I talked about this one in an episode, uh, not a podcast episode, but a radio episode and TV episode a few weeks ago is about trying to time the market. Don't try and time the market because here's a here's a real stat. Okay, we got 300, here's math, Dave, your favorite. We have 365 days in a year. Think of how many days there are over 20 years, like 7,770 days. There's a lot of days in 20 years. If you try and time the market over a 20-year period and you miss the 10 best growth days because you think the bottom hasn't happened yet, you will lose in over a 20 year period, 40% of your growth versus just staying in the market. You would have been 40% higher. Now let's deal with what's going on in the world today and people 
you know, just the nervousness about the volatility. Well, perception is not always reality, Dave. Is there a lot of volatility? So let's give you a couple true stories here from the last two months. So first off, when I was doing some of the shows I do, the hosts come on and say, oh my gosh, the market's gone crazy with the Russia invading Ukraine and, and this has caused volatility in the market. Um, no, volatility started to happen at the beginning of January. Volatility was there for six or seven weeks before Ukraine invaded. Here's the interesting thing. I had a phone call mid-morning after Russia invaded. And that morning, the market, the Dow Jones in the States was down over 790 points, somewhere around there. The guy phoned me, my accounts are going to be in the toilet, blah, blah, blah. And he went on and on and on and on. I look over, I click on my computer. It was near the end of the day. The market that day ended up 95 points. It was actually up, but you wouldn't know that from watching any TV or anything. Here's another one. The very next day, the Dow Jones was up 895 points. So let's just do something. I mean, I know where people are going to review this later, and I don't know what's going to happen um, later. So I'm going to bring something up on my computer, um, and I'm going to go, okay. So the TSX, everyone's going on about how the TSX is, oh, my gosh, like we just said from Ann there and worried about everything. So the, the best day on the TF, TSX, sorry, Toronto Stock Exchange, the Toronto Stock Exchange 300 Composite Index, um, the best day was – uh, it was at 21,768 on November 12th, 2021. So 21.7. It's now through all this constant downturn and turbulence and going in the toilet. The TSX is now at 21,400. That's not, do the wow. math. That's not that big of a decline, is it, Dave? 300 no, points not at all. on... A $21,000 market. So so 2,100 points would be 10% down. It's down 300, just under, or 307 when, we, when we we're recording this. So that's not that much. So develop a plan. Don't try and pick the, best, the worst day. And the interesting thing is, and, I, and maybe some of the stuff I'm saying is eventually rubbing off on people or they're, learning and whatever the case may be. I don't know. I just hope they are because I can tell you this when Russia invaded Ukraine and it's a horrible thing, you know, that's going on and I, I can't even watch it anymore because it's just kind of sickening. And with a last name like Sasheki, where do you think my family's from? Um, ancestral yeah. anyways, from the Ukraine, from just outside of Kiev or Kiev now. But um, so, you know, it, it is heartbreaking, but we still have to live. You still have to plan your life. And I had more phone calls, way more phone calls over those few days of people going, I want to, I've got extra money. I want to invest. I like, I really want to invest now. And so they're learning it. It's take the emotion out of it and go, I don't know when the bottom day is, but they're figuring the market's a lot less right now than it was before. And it's volatile, but that's where portfolio managers come into play. Them picking what's the right thing. Cause if the market goes down 10%, that doesn't necessarily mean not even close that your portfolio is going to drop 10% if it's managed properly. Yeah. Nothing could be further from the truth, really. And I, I saw that in 08. I saw that and many other times in 32 years. And I, I mean, we saw that in 2020 with a 36% decline when COVID hit over a very short period of time. 
but portfolio managers who made changes at the bottom of that market um, did a lot of good things for their clients. So, Anne, thanks for the question. The concern is, is valid. It's real. But develop a plan and know what's going on and you will sleep at night a lot better. Your eyes will open and, and you won't be as worried. This is uh, from Steve. He wants to know, what about RESPs? Well, RESPs generally should be invested like everything else as part of your portfolio. Um, look at an RESP as part of, at retirement, or sorry, retirement. As you get within a few years of your child needing that RESP for school, look at that like an RESP where you may tend to be more conservative or you may want less volatility as you get closer to the time you need that money. So the analogy is a retired person will probably go with less volatility when they get close to those retirement years, maybe versus what they'll do in their 20s, 30s and 40s. So your kids are ESP may be more conservative or more aggressive when they're five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 years old than they will be when they're 15, 16, 17 years old. But same volatility as goes on a lot of times with the rest of the market because you're still invested in the market. Um, but you just have to, you know, not time the market and, and, um, guess on when's a good time to put in, in relation to RESPs and TFSAs, the unfortunate, say you're maximized on the RESP and you can't put more money in because the person could be asking that question too. Um, you, you can't do anything outside of the RESP in a form of a TFSA until your child is 18 unless you did it under your own name and kind of just tracked it. Uh, and then you have to look at something called an in-trust for account, which you can do in your name, children as the annuitant when they're under 18. So there's other vehicles you can invest in other than an RESP. And you'll definitely have to talk to your registered financial planner to see what's the best one for you. And maybe Dave, you just don't want to tie up all that money hoping or banking on the fact that your child's going to go to post-secondary education and maybe they won't. You know, so you want to leave more flexibility in your plan. The best part of it is I'm not going to start singing, you know, Aretha Franklin and our spin. No, I'm not. I'm not going there. So no, you're you're safe. You'll be able. And to everyone tonight. thanks you for that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Two flat Pratt. I've earned it. I've earned it. Okay. Yeah. Hey, come on. <laughs> Let's get back to the old days of uh, what was it called? The, what was the band again? The the electric the electric lunch, lunch orchestra. orchestra. The electric <laughs> lunch orchestra. Come on, Dave. Like, let's get some let's get some guests on here in a future episode. And, sure. And bring the band bring the band back. That would be cool. <laughs> uh, no, no. Isn't that one, no, of, those no. a, isn't one uh, of those guys running a? Isn't one of those guys running a winery now? Yes, very much so. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't drink wine. You know, me and you are the two. It's hard to believe me and you are the two non-drinkers when we do some of the things we do because people probably <laughs> probably people watch some of these things and figure we're a few cocktails in, but we're not. Um, no. We leave that to our, we leave that to our <laughs> wives. Um, but, but, but we're the ones who drive them to the winery for the tasting. So Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it, what it, I did last people, night. Okay, people. Yes, I know people. When we go out together as couples, hard to believe, but theoretically, Dave and I are the voice of reason. I know, yes. hard to imagine. <laughs> as always, Peter, great stuff. <laughs> Thanks a uh, lot, Dave. And, Much uh, appreciated. We have three more of these to go before the season's up. Yes. <laughs> 
TikTok, TikTok. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, here's what you do because you do it the best. Keep raising that level of financial literacy. Uh, and if people have got questions, uh, not about you know the two flat Pratt stuff. No, no, no. Uh, real questions here. What can they do? Tell them what they can do. Go to everythingfinancial.com. Go to your money at everythingfinancial.com. Click on our YouTube channel at Everything Financial Group. Any one of those ways. Uh, send us your questions, comments, queries, insults. We get some of those sometimes too. Um, yeah. But reach out because we're happy to answer questions. You do not have to be a client to get a question answered. We're, we're there really. And, and that's why we started this, Dave. You know that. To educate yeah. people, yeah, we get clients from it. Yeah, we want more. We want clients, absolutely. But I believe there's not enough education in the world when it comes to finances. So I'm happy just to put the things out there and get the people looking after it. Because as we always say, it's your money, and there's nothing wrong with um, making yourself a little more informed. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. As always, that's episode 15. We'll be back soon with episode 16. And thanks for sharing on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube. And if you've got a question for Peter, you can get us at your money at everythingfinancial.com. Thanks again, Peter.